If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is part two of my two-part interview with Rich Fields, who for seven years was the announcer on The Price is Right. And this week, we talk a lot about Bob Barker, and we talk a lot about Drew Carey. So if you're kind of interested in game shows, this is really the episode for you. And if you missed part one after you listen to this, go back and check that out. So here we go, part two with Rich Fields this week on Hollywood and Levine. I get back to Palm Springs, and um, again, almost a week goes by. I don't hear a thing from anybody after walking out of that dark studio. And and I want to call every day. I want to call, call, call. And every time I'd pick up the phone, I'd think, no, one more day. Give give them one more day. Don't be so anxious. I knew they were auditioning other people, you know. And I didn't I didn't want to be too in their face and and have them go. We don't want that around the show. You know what I mean? Right. We'd, right. We want to hire this guy's a nudge. Yeah. <laughs> So I waited and I waited and I waited and about 10 days went by and Roger called me up and he said, hi, Rich. I said, hi, Roger. He said, um, look, um, Mr. Barker loved what you did the week uh, of the shows that, that you did with us. He said, would you be willing to come back and do one more week with Mr. Barker on the air? I said, of course. When? And this was on a Friday. And he said, can you do can you do Monday? Can you come back Monday and do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday again? And in my head, I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do with these people at CBS2 now? I just took a, a week's vacation. What do I tell them now? You know what I mean? Oh, God. So I, I said, yes, Roger, I'll be there Monday. He said, well, don't you have to talk with the people? I mean, it was Roger who said it out loud. Yeah. Well, don't you have to talk with your bosses and managers at CBS2? and get them off? I said, indeed, I do, Roger. But regardless of what happens in that conversation, I will be at the prices right on Monday morning. <laughs> he said, <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> So I um I immediately uh, got on the phone to my news director and and had her three-way telephone call with the GM and I said look I need to talk with both of you something has come up it's it's, it's very important and can I see you both face to face and they were like well let's do tomorrow morning at blank and so that next morning I went into them and I said hey uh, 
that week that I was out on vacation, I said, I want you to know, I said, I was actually in Hollywood auditioning for Bob Barker as his new announcer on The Price is Right. <laughs> they were probably a, stunned. Just uncomfortable <laughs> pause. And I thought to myself, oh, no. Because, Ken, these people hold their life in my hands. I had a three-year contract with them. Right, right. If they said no, my Price right. is Right over. Right. And um, and one of them said, I think it was Aaron Gahuli, the news director. She said, "Well, that's awesome. How'd you how'd you make that happen?" And I talk about this in the book. I said right away in my head, I was like, "She's freaking right." You know, I made this happen. You know, every step of the way, every phone call I made, every job I ever took, every course I ever studied. And I, I came back to reality, and I, I and I said, "Well, you know, I used to do a Mark Goodson game show down in the state of Florida." And when Rod Roddy passed away, I had called Goodson Productions. I kind of fibbed. I called Goodson Productions to uh, uh, give, you know, condolences and uh, asked what they, they were doing about the position. And, and all of a sudden, I find myself being invited to audition for Mr. Barker. I kind of, I, I really sugarcoated over the entire process. I right. Mean, <laughs> I worked hard to get that audition. Mm. And uh, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, so when did the show? I said, well, they're, they're, the, the shows I just taped with Mr. Barker are, are coming up, and they're going to be right here on CBS2 in, in, in just a few days. Oh, that's fantastic, Rich. Well, good for you. And I said, well, here's part two. I said, I just got off the phone with the, exec, with the producer of the show, and they want me to come back and do another week's worth of auditions with Bob. And the GM looked up at me, and he said, when? And I said, Monday. And this was on a Friday. And he looked at the news director, and she looked at the – at the GM and the, then the news director, God bless her. She said, Hey, Rich, do you think they'd let you do your, your weather from television city live from there? And we satellite it back to Palm Springs and you just, you know, you'd be there at the price is right. You can show people like, you know, the audience and games and stuff. And I, I'm thinking in my head, Oh my God, please, you guys, <laughs> this is going to, huge wrench into things. Bob Barker's not going to want some rinky dink station, uh, <laughs> A weatherman on his stage, you know, or walking through his dressing room when he's not around. And please don't. And then, then, then the GM was like, "Yeah, that sounds great. Our our viewers would love that. Can, can you can you ask him?" And I was like, "Sure, sure. I can. You know, I'll put in a phone call." And he was like, "Let's let's call him right now. Here." And he pulled his phone over, and I was like, "Oh no." So I dialed up Roger Dobkowitz's phone number at the Price Is Right, and he answers phone. I said, "Hi, Roger Rich Fields. I'm here with." Uh, my uh, manager and my news director, and, and they want to know that during this upcoming week of auditions with Mr. Barker, if I could do my weather hits live from Television City, you know, the show would long be over by the time I was on at four or five o'clock, six o'clock, 11 o'clock. I said, you know, they'd like to know if I could do it from here. And he said, well, uh, you guys bring in your own satellite truck. How do you want to do it? And, and we were just a brand new small station, Palm Springs. And the, G, uh, the GM says, we don't have a satellite truck. And Roger says, ah, we've got a couple here in the lot. Um, let me, let me uh, make some phone calls. Let me work this out. But yeah, we can, we can do this, man. From what I thought was going to be the absolute door closer, yeah. all of a sudden here, Roger's opening doors for me yeah. to get this done. And, um, I go back to CBS two or excuse me, Television City the next week. I do my auditions with Bob. I'm having a great time. I'm doing weather hits, you know, from the stage or from Young and the Restless, from the Craig Kilborn show or from the roof, you know, playing basketball with Craig Kilborn. I did so many breaks from so many cool places there. 
uh, the station ended up getting an Emmy Award for the five o'clock news during that that ratings period. And uh, the GM and the news director said, you know, sure, we have a great staff. We're putting out good content news-wise, but we believe it was the people were enthralled. You were taken in places they had never seen in their I took people down in the basement of Television City where there's the vault. It's called the vault, Ken. I don't even know if you know about it. but I do. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been. Yeah. But um, it's where they keep anything expensive, jewelry, cash, anything small that you could walk into like a bank-sized vault and store is in this vault down yeah, they below. They kept Carol Burnett in there for a couple of years. <laughs> so uh, I was taking them all kinds of places, and, and everybody was very happy with it. The, I got through the second week uh, week's worth of auditions with without any hiccups, very few pickups, very few uh, flubbed lines. And um, again, about a week to 10 days later, I'm, 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 I'm all gussied up, suit and tie. We actually had weather in Palm Springs that day, Ken. We had... Oh, my God. That's that's the most unbelievable thing you've we said have... so far. Which, uh, for in layman's terms, it's a, it's a storm that comes over. And it's a strong downward burst of energy out of the storm. And the Coachella Valley is a huge agricultural center. I mean, it's some of the most fertile land. You wouldn't believe it because you'd think it's desert. But uh, some of the most fertile land in California. And they grow everything that California exports in the Coachella Valley. I mean, from lettuce to carrots to avocado, everything. And so anyway, this massive downburst came and it wiped out a huge agricultural uh, farm there. I mean, big damage. It closed I-75. Is it 75 through the Coachella Valley? How quickly we forget. Yes. Whatever. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Closed the freeways for hours. It was was a weather event for the Palm Springs area. And so I was going to lead the news that night at 11 o'clock. And uh, I was in the newsroom. I didn't have my jacket. It was one of those kind of casual shots. You know, I'm at my desk in the weather center and the cameras in the newsroom and the anchors are out on the thing. And and they're going to start the show, you know, CBS 2 News, you know, 11 o'clock. Let's go right now to Richfield's in the weather center with what happened today. And so I'm I'm all ready for that. I'm sitting at my desk. I'm doing some computer uh, graphics. And, and the phone rings on my desk, Ken, and it's that line that's either your wife or the news director. Uh, either one equally as important to answer. I looked up at the clock and it was five minutes to 11. I'm sorry, it was six o'clock newscast. It was five minutes to six. Um, and that's a that makes a difference in this story coming up here in a second. And so I answer the phone and it's my wife and she's kind of frantic, excited. She says, Roger Dobkowitz of The Price is Right just called the house and he wants you to call him right away. He needs you to call him before six o'clock. He's leaving, they're leaving town. They're going on a vacation and they're going to be gone. And I looked up at the clock. It's four minutes to six. I hung up the phone. I dialed Roger Dobkowitz's number, you know, one ringy dingy, two ringy dings. I'm watching the second hand go around. I'm like, oh my God. He picks up the phone. Hello. I said, hi, Roger. I said, it's Rich Fields calling you back. Well, hi, Rich. How are you? Roger just has a certain speech pattern. It's very easy and, and nothing is fast. And, and, and I'm trying to hurry things up because I'm watching that second hand and and uh i said good i'm good good roger i'm seconds away from going on the air out here live in palm springs at cbs2 oh oh i'm you know he gets the gist oh i i just have one question for you and i was like oh shoot you know i thought it was going to be something of meat yeah i said what's that and he goes well how would you like to be the announcer on the price is right 
I said, well, of course, Roger, two, two minutes before. Of course, Roger, that's why I'm going through the entire uh, process here with you. And he says, no, no, I'm, I'm offering you the job. Have you ever fainted? Have you ever fainted? No, you actually fainted? As close as it can be without hitting the floor. My, and folks that have fainted, let's see if this jives with you. All of a sudden, blood rushing in my head, I I found out, created this whooshing noise in my ears. Like, it was the weirdest thing. Then my vision from full vision started to close off. Now, blackness out here. And it was closing off into a little pinlet of light. And I'm st- I had a stand-up desk at the time. And I'm standing at the desk with the phone in my hand. And I felt my knees buckle. And I see my vision going. And I, I put my hands down on my desk to grab myself. And I dropped the phone. And I, I kept myself from hitting the ground. And I actually inhaled. I, I didn't know it, but I wasn't breathing. And I, and soon as I did that, from a pinlight, my vision started coming back. And I realized where I was. I picked up the phone. And I said, hey, hi, hi, Roger. I said, yeah, my God, thank you. Thank you so much. He said, are you okay? Because he heard the phone. Right, right. I, said, I damn near fainted, brother. <laughs> he laughed. He goes, well, Mr. Barker, I want you to know, I got to make the phone call. But Mr. Barker handpicked you from over 200 applicants and nearly seven or eight that got live auditions with Mr. Barker. He's picked you, and, and uh, he's proud to have you on the team, and so am I. Ken, it was like hitting the lottery in all ways. All of a sudden, you know, money wasn't an issue anymore. Um, just everything. It was like, oh, my God. It was like, you know, your dreams come true. And I hung up the phone with Roger, and I stood there a second. And in my IFB, you know, remember, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready right. for that I got my mic on. I got my IFB in my ear. And for folks out there, IFB is uh, the, the, the system. thing in your ear. Yeah. Yankers, anybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sat there a second and I heard in my IFB from the director, all right, uh, talent out on the uh, floor. Uh, we're, we're scrapping the first story uh, with Rich. We're going right to the second story about the mall shooting in, in San Diego. Stand by. Here we go. The, the new announcer of The Price is Right will not be with us tonight in the A Block. Here we go. Three, two, one. Music stuff starts flying. Mm. CBS 2 News at 6 mm-hmm. o'clock. Now, here's, you know, Trish O'Shea. And I was like, oh, my God, they heard the whole freaking thing. Can they? (laughs) This is my end. They heard Roger's end of the conversation all through my microphone. Everybody in the booth heard it. Producers, directors, writers, everybody. And the director of the show, John Gahuli, happened to be the husband of the news director, Aaron Gahuli. And I knew that she already knew. You know, that that I got the job and I I was just like, I couldn't believe it. And in my ear, he said, hey, man, take take a couple moments, you know, uh, we'll get back to you when we need you. And and I was I was just so dumbfounded by what just happened. I was it was a dream. It was like a dream. I, I, I couldn't get myself out of the feeling of this. This couldn't have just happened. It, but with every breath, I realized I'm in I'm in the CBS two newsroom. I'm in, in the desert. I'm I'm right where I was getting ready. Jesus, I got I got to get ready for my next next weather hit. I got to get this prices right thing out of my head because I owe these people now. You know what I mean? I I really wanted to give them uh, 
everything I could in, in whatever remaining time I had with them. I didn't know if I was going to have to do them both at the same time, be the weatherman out in Palm Springs and do the pressure. I didn't know what was about to happen, but I what wanted to What did make... ultimately happen? Well, uh, CBS, the network, got involved with the ownership of KPSP in Palm Springs. And the ownership, um, they weren't going to, they weren't trying to keep me from prices right at all. But um, you know that in in syndication, you you buy certain shows, Mm -hmm. your stations. And so I think Dr. Phil and something else, they gave they gave this affiliate in Palm Springs quite a few things as a as a as a give back to let me out of my contract with them because they were going to lock me up. Right. Uh, the network was going to lock me up and I, and I wasn't going to be able to do anything else. I found out. And um, so to make a long story short, um, you know, goodbye party and brand new set of golf clubs later, I was, you know, uh, uh, looking for an apartment in uh, somewhere in Los Angeles to be the new announcer. The price is right. Let's talk about Bob Barker. Now on YouTube, you can find this. Somebody has unearthed, the very first time that Bob Barker was ever on television, and it was his first day hosting Truth or Consequences back in like 1956. And you watch this video, and Ralph Edwards, who had created the show and had been the host of the nighttime version, now NBC was going to do a live daytime version, and it was live at that time. So he comes out at the beginning of the show and he says, we have a new host. We have auditioned 200 people, an extensive search, yada, yada. And he says, and last week I was driving around and I heard this guy on a radio station, a crappy radio station, by the way, KGFJ with a horrible signal. And he said, "Eh, that guy sounded interesting. And I invited him to come in. And that guy got the job. And I want to introduce him to you now, Bob Barker. And Bob Barker comes out. And he and Ralph chat for a few minutes. Again, this is his first time on any television, much less national television. And after a few moments of chit-chat, Ralph hands him the microphone and says, okay, do the show. And Bob brings out a couple of contestants. And I was stunned at how comfortable and polished and at ease and joking with the the contestants. And I thought, oh, my God. This is his first day, and he's on live television. The The amount of poise that he exhibited that first day was absolutely phenomenal. What was it like working with him? And did he ever talk about those days? And did he ever talk about that I first made, day? I made him talk about those days. I uh, I was born in 1960. So as a youngster, uh, my mom and dad used to watch Truth or Consequences. So I would sit and watch Truth or Consequences as well. And um, 
you know, I don't know where my intuition or premonition of working with Bob came from, but I recognized then as a little kid watching this guy that uh, he had a certain personality that was perfect for this screwy game show. I didn't watch the show so much for the weird situations that contestants were put in that they had to get out of, but I watched it for because of Bob. And, you know, here was this young, handsome, debonair guy, very well-spoken and had a a quick wit, not an abs- not an acerbic wit, a, just a quick wit and made anything laughable and funny. And so I would make Mr. Barker talk about those days. I, I would bring I would bring that up to him about truth or consequences days. And <clears throat> he would always wrap the entire conversation around his love for Ralph Edwards and that he owed Ralph everything and and that uh up to the day he died even on his deathbed the, the the anniversary came around of the day ralph handed that microphone to bob you're talking about that first show and um i forget the time of the day i think it was 12 noon that him and ralph edwards decided that on um, on that anniversary day at 12 noon they would both have lunch every year and toast that and bob made sure that happened every single year for 50 years until uh, 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 Ralph died. And as a matter of fact, Bob told me on Ralph's deathbed, the anniversary came around and Mr. Barker snuck in a bottle of wine to the hospital and and two glasses and him and uh, Ralph Edwards toasted for the last time. Wow. Chokes me up to think about it, but um, just so cool. Just so reverent. Mm hmm to to ralph edwards so that's that's what he talked about the most early days of prices right sure we talk about stuff like that we talk about blunders or or mistakes or johnny we talked about i'd I'd talk to him about johnny a lot um i knew that he and rod had a falling out there in the latter years so i tried to stay away from too much conversation about rod because i didn't know how he still felt about rod They, they 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 had a big falling out about money and some other things and and uh, Bob changed his opinion of Rod, and that's when Rod was taken off the air uh, uh, visually. You know, no more shots of Rod, and and just all kinds of stuff was happening. So I, I always kept my conversations kind of away from Rod, but I talked about everything else, and Bob was happy to talk about it. I mean, he pointed out a number of times that I was the exact same age as he was when I got my job at Price when he got his job with Ralph Edwards, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, you know, maybe maybe there's time for me yet. You know, <laughs> oh. Um, because not only did I, you know, my my quest was twofold. Not only did I want to be Bob Barker's announcer on The Price is Right, reason why I wanted that so bad, Ken, was because I wanted to learn from the master. I wanted to host The Price is Right. I wanted to be there the day that he retired and be considered to be his replacement. And um, that didn't pan out. You know, other forces came in at the end of Bob's reign and the beginning of Drew Carey's reign and... And um, I told you about them sanitizing the show of anything, Bob, uh, um, with the new crew, and they wanted to make it Drew, Drew Carey's show. So uh, me getting an audition for Bob's job was absolutely out of the question. The number one thing was they were like, look, we looked we looked through so many people to get you. Um, we're not changing out the voice again. Uh, you're you're staying right where you're at. And that that was kind of crushing. Mr. Barker, at one point, we're he's we're still recording shows with Bob and and we're going through auditions with you know new people, uh, uh George Hamilton, uh, Mario Lopez, uh, uh all these people coming into to audition. And we're walking out one day and Bob says to me, How's the audition? How are the auditions going? I said, Well, you know, they are what they are, Bob. Nobody's a Bob Barker, and he laughed and 
And I said, Bob, you know, they've, they've got so many nobodies coming in. It's embarrassing. I've, I've heard that. And I said, you know, you know, Mr. Barker, nobody knows this show uh, better than you, than me. And he looked at me right away and he said, and? And I said, what do you think about asking the production company for an audition? I think you should. I said, really? You just said it. Nobody knows this show better than you right now. You're, you're, you're the next best thing they've got. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm walking past the dumpsters with Bob out to our cars because we parked out back because they didn't want people to see us when we walked in. And I thought, my God, Bob Barker just freaking knighted me. <laughs> and I went home. I told my wife, and she was like, you know, you've been talking about pressing this issue of getting an, an audition. Maybe maybe this is the time. And so I did. I, I went into uh, not the producers of the show. I went to the production company. I went to the showrunner. And uh, for folks that may not know, the showrunner, there's, you know, there's, there's all the people that work on the show, you know, and prices instance, then there's, you know, the, the host and then there's producers and, and there's executive producers and then there's the showrunner. And so I went to, got a meeting with the showrunner at his office <clears throat> in um, Santa Monica at the time. And I sat with him and I won't use his name because I, I, I've got other stories later about him that aren't so nice. But I said, look, I said, uh, I know you turned me down once, but just just give me an audition. Just look at what I can do. Watch what I can do. I said, I'm not a Bar Bob Barker clone. I'm not going to do exactly as Bob Barker did. I said, I, I'm going to keep the consistency and continuity of the show from Bob to a new host. I think I'm your I'm your next best chance of of hanging on to the viewership that we have. And I know the show. I know the show back and forth. I know every nuance of every game. I Not only have I watched it since I was old enough to have eyeballs on a TV, I said, now I've worked with Bob for three plus years and have learned it's so much more about timing, about every segment having a clock to it, every game, every contestant that comes up, there's a clock running. You know, Bob, Bob they tell him beforehand, before, before they come out of commercial, Bob, you got 12 minutes for the next segment. 12 minutes, very good. Okay, Rich, what's the next name on your list? Bob, it's so-and-so, come on down. And so four the bidders roll, roll up and make their one bid. This is all, clock's still running. Make their one bid and the actual retail price. It's you, the clock's ticking. All right, now we get to the big game they're going to play. He's got eight minutes or whatever to, to do this. In. Bob was a master at bringing that show in on freaking time, every single segment. He would hurry people. He'd know in his head. He, he, he had like a disc jockey brain. He knew that if he had on a three a song that was three minutes and 23 seconds, he knew when it was three minutes and 20 seconds. I mean, he would bring it in and he would hurry people through games even in a comedic way to get it done on time. And then boom, we'll be back right after these messages. Camera goes to black and Bob would turn around and go, how'd I do? Bob, you brought it in two seconds early. All right. Excellent. Thanks. <laughs>
I mean, and so I knew that. I knew how to do that. I knew how to keep production costs down by doing that, keeping the show on time. It's 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 less editing. It, everything costs money there. Not only does the editing room downstairs cost money, the dude down there in the room costs money. You know, and and then the producer to sit there with him costs money. The time to go, okay, and act three, such and such, uh, make this edit. You know, it, it's there's just so much involved. If Bob brings it in on time, guess what? There's no extraneous cost. And I knew how to do that. And I, I was confident I can do that, and 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 um, they just shut me down, hundred percent. No, it's not going to happen, Rich. Give it up. And I told Mister Barker about that at a later date after he had left the show. He asked me about it, and um, I said, Bob, I I went to the showrunner, and, and he turned me down. And Bob did not like the showrunner. Bob hated that guy. And he had a few expletives, and he said, Look, Rich, all I can tell you is just keep keep on plugging away. It'll happen. And so I thought that meant, okay, stay on the show. Something may happen with the new host, and maybe then you'll get a shot. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, they they get Drew Carey in there, somebody that's never done a game show, never watched The Price is Right in his life, and he's proud of it. He's on the Internet a billion times saying, I never watched Price is Right. You know, so, and I asked Drew, you know, somewhere in the first three years, I was like, Drew would tell me constantly, as a comedian, the last thing I wanted to end up doing was finding myself in my career going down the toilet as a game show host. Why do you take the job? They paid him a fortune. They just rolled the Brinks truck up to the back of his house. I said, Drew, why would you take the job? He said, they just kept throwing money at me. I turned them down four times. He said, I was on a car trip out in the outer banks of the Carolinas. They were calling me every day, and every day it was going up in the millions every day. Three million one day, five million the next day, ten million the next day. Because I, 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 it, I, it was like the cosmos telling me I had to do this. And now I think he does enjoy the show, although he's very flippant about it off camera still. But um, money, money. What was it like in his early days? <laughs> I mean, that that must have been rough. Very. It was very rough. Um, we had a week or two of rehearsals with Drew where we were there at Price is Right, no audiences, and we were literally going through full shows. Fake contestants, you know, we had people, you know, in Bitters Row, the whole nine yards. And um, we were getting ready to do another audition one day and I was coming down out of my dressing room and Drew is at the bottom of the stairs where my dressing room had been moved. And, and, uh, he says to me, Hey man, everything Drew says starts with, Hey man, Hey man, you want to go to Vegas tonight? I got a private jet. He goes, look, I got, I'm taking my, my niece and a bunch of her friends. The jet is full out of Van Nuys to, to Vegas. But if you can get to Vegas, I can bring you and your wife back on the jet. Come on, man, me and you, let's go, let's go, let's go party. Let's go gamble, man. And so I said, yeah, yeah, done. So my wife and I went to Las Vegas and we were staying at the Hard Rock uh, with Drew. And um, Drew calls me up and he says, hey, man, meet me out. Uh, meet me out at the pool. I've got the big cabana out there. You can't miss it. It's it's, it's the largest one out there. He says, you know, there's 100 cabanas, but this is the, the massive one. You can't miss it. Of course, Drew has the big cabana. And uh, he goes, meet me out there. There's a couple of things I want to go through with you. So I get out there and um, I think, you know, we're going to go swimming or something. He's like, man, what are you just like that for? I said, oh, I thought, you know, maybe take a different. No, man, no, we're, we're working. Uh, come here. And he has a computer set up and he's got a, a, a video screen there, kind of like a great big monitor. And 
and he's got a CD player and he's got CDs of Bob and the show and different games that are going to come up in his first week of real live shows. And he's like, here, man, you know, watch this with me, will you? And so we're watching Bob do one away or punch a bunch. I can't remember what the game was. And, and Drew was like, oh my God, he's, he's so good. I, I don't, I don't know. What do I do? I mean, he was, he was like worried. He was like, what did I get mm-hmm. myself? And I said, Drew, he goes, how do, how do I be successful at this, man? How do I, how do I, how do I do what Barker does? You know, how do I, I you know, I'm enthralled, you know, I, I'm so involved watching him. He's never watched a show, but now he is. And he's, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm so invested watching him now. I, he, the guy sucks me right in. How do I do that? You know, Drew came from the Drew Carey show or live audiences. Drew, Drew Carey show, you know, you're, you're, it's a, probably a four camera shoot. It was four camera shoot. Yeah. So, you know, uh, um, with lines and you know exactly what camera to look at or who to look at during what scene and so forth. And he's like, I, I, I just don't know how he pulls people in. I said, well, you know, here's something Mr. Barker taught me. And this was a big, in my opinion, a big secret for me as the, as the wannabe host of the show someday. He said, what, what? I said, well, here's, here's what Bob told me. There's three audiences on this show, Drew, and you need to play to all three of them. What do you mean there's three audiences on the show? I said, well, you know, you got the audience out there in the pit. Yeah, yeah. I said, you know, the the, the the 300 that waited to see you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, you've got the contestant that you're playing the game with. That's your second audience. So you're playing to them. You're playing to the people out there. I said, and then you got the third audience right there, the folks at home. You need to round robin from da-da-da-da to da-da-da-da. So what do you, should, what do you think you should do? Audience, what do you think you should do? How about you folks at home? You think it's that? I don't know. You You know what I mean? So Bob did this roundabout with, and that, according to Bob, was the secret sauce of involving everyone. He's pulled in the CBS viewers on TV. He's pulled in the audience there live with him to scream and yell. He's got this person excited out of their mind to win this prize. He's got models to throw to and, and show him that again. Let me see that. You know, so Bob, Bob looked at the entire studio as his playground and um, hosts don't do that. You don't see hosts on the air doing that these days. Even mm-hmm. Drew doesn't do it these days. You know, he, he kind of forgets. He kind of forgets. So um, sitting there at the Hard Rock with Drew in Vegas and going through particular games and literally i won't say teaching drew the games but that's 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 what it ended up being i mean i sat through 15 20 games teaching drew how to do how to do the show it was really rough i mean and none of those first weeks months year years i'll say uh ever came in on time there was nothing was shot in real time our shows went from uh 48 49 minutes of actually shooting the show to a couple of hours when drew got there the crew didn't like it. Nobody liked it. CBS didn't like it. The Fremantle didn't like it. It was more production costs all the way around. It was just, it didn't look like it was going to work. I mean, but um, they were hell bent on make, making it work. And they went through a lot. I mean, the show took a huge plummet after Bob left. I mean, the viewership just, it went to nothing. So. Yet they kept him and he well, there's seems no- to be doing a good job. Yeah. And they kept the show. There's nothing on on CBS in daytime. They've killed everything. The soaps are all gone. I think there's one left, you know, 
so it's a matter of really not having any programming that would beat the small numbers prices Wright was getting. Well, you and Drew are both from Ohio, so I imagine you guys would would get along. I knew Drew a little bit. We had a mutual friend, Sam Simon, the late Sam Simon from The Simpsons, and Sam would invite me and Drew over to his house to watch football. And I, I have to say, and this was during the Drew Carey show days, um, nice guy, very regular guy, very low key. And, and of course, writers now revere him for what he did during the strike where he paid for meals at two specific restaurants to anybody yeah, I, who was that, a writer. Every time there's a strike in Hollywood, Drew does that. Yeah. Um, he was, for me, he was just a very nice, regular guy. What was he like to deal with for you? Very nice, regular guy. Like you said, I mean, we both grew up, out, he grew up in Cleveland. I grew up just outside of Cleveland, a couple minutes. We're both the same age. I think Drew's a couple of months older than I. Um, both have the same backgrounds growing up, same sensibilities. Uh, we got along, we got along great right from the get go. We, we became fast friends. And, um, I mean, like you said, from being up at Drew's house to watch a football game or a late night movie, or just to play, uh, um, you know, like a gaming night with his girlfriend and my wife or something like that, or, or, uh, or going to soccer games with Drew, you know, he owns part of the Seattle Sounders. So we were constantly flying up there to see soccer games with Drew and just, I mean, we went to, we went to Argentina together with drew my wife and i and uh just a lot of i mean we did everything together we did everything get together for about three years do you happen to know if bob was happy with what he saw when once he retired and got a what, chance to see the new guy it wasn't it wasn't complimentary mm-hmm. i i can imagine you talked about rehearsal what is the what was the process like? You would do your production meeting. What kind of rehearsal and how long a rehearsal would you rehearsal do? Rehearsal take about 45 minutes. It's the entire show from uh, the one bids. One one bids are the small prizes that you bid on in contestants row. From one, bid, one bids all the way up to uh, whatever's on stage to be given away, whether it's cars, cash, whatever it is. We'll go through the... And you had bid. phony contestants? to stand and where exactly the the cameras need to be you know blocking we we did it all on paper just minutes before in the in the production meeting now it's a chance to do it in in real life real life in real time okay and then you bring in the audience and, and yeah then the we at the stage and give the uh, cbs pages the cue to go ahead and start loading the audience and during that time we're all backstage we're we're putting on our show clothes we're getting our makeup on we're, we're getting our hair done and about 15 minutes before the show's going to start, uh, the announcer goes out and does his warm up and has some fun with the audience. Whips so him that's up and... you. Huh? That's you going yeah. out doing the warm up. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I did about 15 minutes of stand up, you know, warm up, stand up. It's, it's literally a, like a stand up comedy routine. At least it was for me. And, um, the, you know, just having a lot of fun with the audience and telling them what they need, need to know before the show starts. <clears throat> and um and then soon as soon as i get the uh, cue 
to get off the stage, it's it's a matter of seconds that I have to get back to the podium, put my headphones on before the music starts playing, and the director's like, five, four, three, two, one, stand by, here we go, announce! He literally yells, mm-hmm. announce, because the music's so loud. Mm-hmm. Here it comes from the Bob Barker studio at CBS in Hollywood, you know, and boom, now you're rolling, man. You're off and rolling, and it's showtime. Here's the star of The Price is Right, Bob Barker! And those doors open and slam close, and he straightens up and walks through. And that's another thing. Bob had a very bad back and bad knees. It's why he retired. Uh, October 30th of 2006, the day before Halloween, he came into my dressing room and told me, He's, he's going to retire. And I, I was sick to my stomach, but I was trying to be, be up and buoyant for him because this was, you know, it looked like a happy thing, I think, for him. Mm-hmm. And I said, Bob, why? Why now? And he said, you know what, Rich? He said, I, I got out of bed this morning like I do every morning. And I, I, my back was killing me. And I put my leg over the side of the bed and I got my second leg over the side of the bed. And I, I sat there and I thought to myself, what am I doing this for? I'm killing myself. I can barely walk. I can barely stand up. I've been on the air now for freaking 49 years. Got nothing else to prove. I just think this is it. It's going to be a nice round number, 50 years. I'm, I think I'm done. So Bob had a horrible back this entire time. Remember this video of the Samoan lady bouncing him up and down? Yeah. Oh, my God. It must have killed him. That particular instance, this is according to Bob, uh, sitting at his table, kitchen table at his house that incident um herniated a disc or two of his that he suffered with his entire life oh wow and so you know i talk about getting back to the podium and starting the show now here's a star the price is right well as that's happening backstage behind the big doors you would see bob and i'm going to do it in profile kind of sort of so the big doors are in front of me they haven't opened yet and the announcer's out front and now here's a star the price is right bob's kind of hunched over and 83-ish. And now here's the star of The Price is Right, Bob Barker. And those doors would open up and he'd bull through it, man. No matter how his back hurt or how his knees hurt, he'd stand straight up just before them doors open and he'd come through with vim and vigor, man. So uh, God bless him. He, he, he did it as long as he could. Along the way, you got a lot of reads, and you have to read very quickly. I'm sure you made any number of mistakes. Uh, was Bob cool with that? Oh, yeah. that It wouldn't affect Bob at all, because if I do flub something, do not stop. That was the number one key. You know, if I'm reading the copy and, um, uh, you know, I don't know what it, what it says. This, you know, 2000. Corvette Stingray has power steering, power brakes. Po- uh, just keep going. Forget the, uh, uh, don't go back. Just keep going and keep the time that you're going to end up doing this in exactly the same. So to Bob, he didn't care because he knew it'd be picked up after the show and he didn't have to be there. And it, it didn't, it didn't matter to Bob how many mistakes I made, but you know what? The the, the more I did the show, uh, I got to the point where I'd be doing a pickup maybe every two, three shows, one, two a week. I mean, I got I got pretty proficient at it because the, all the copy, after a couple of years, <laughs> all the copy is the same exact copy. I mean, the model of the car might be different. The year of the car might be different, but it's all the same copy. You know, you and a guest will fry round trip from Los Angeles aboard, you know. And so it just becomes second nature and you get really good at it. 
And finally, you were there for seven years. I got to ask. Plus. Why did, why did you leave? Um, I had two contracts. I had two three-year terms. I got through the first uh, three with Mr. Barker. He left. Um, I was going to leave the show knowing I wasn't going to get a shot at the host job. I thought this thing's going to be an abomination, and I don't know if I want to be a part of that. You know, everybody was saying that the show's never going to be the same. You know, who wants to be involved with the death of the prices, right? And so I was seriously considering leaving the show. And um, after a big meeting with the president of CBS Daytime and the showrunner up in uh, CBS, third floor of CBS one day, um, they just impressed upon me how much they needed me to stay to be the conduit uh, between the changeover. They they wanted the voice to remain the same during the changeover from Bob to Drew. And um, the only thing they wanted different that first year was the host. They wanted everything to stay the same. They didn't want to make the big set changes they wanted to make yet. They wanted to try to hold the audience. And so I was going to, I was supposed to be a part of that. So I did a second three-year contract. And after that second three-year contract was over, a new executive producer came in, a young, uh, uh, he thought he was such a hot shot. He was going to, you know, sanitize the show of anything that was Bob Barker and make this Drew Carey show, you know, and, and any reminder there was of Mr. Barker, they seemed to get rid of right away, starting with the producer of the show, Roger Dobkowitz, who'd been there for 35-some years, and Kathy Greco got let go. Everybody. They fired everybody. They they totally cleaned house. This guy was so um, new and such a novice at what he was doing, he didn't want anybody around him to know that he made a mistake. So he didn't need anybody around him that knew better than him. You know, he didn't need anybody around him to go, uh, Mike... You can't do that because the budget of the show, by the end of the week's taping, it's going to end up, you know what I mean? Just... So uh, he convinced uh, the production company not to renew me for a third term, that he was going to get Drew's uh, improv buddies to be the announcer of The Price is Right, which was funny because by the end of my term, my three years with Drew, I was already on Drew Carey's Improvaganza doing improv in Las Vegas at the MGM with Drew. So you know, here I was starting that little journey of doing improv with Drew. And, and now they, they want improv. I said, I can improv. I improv all the time. I did 40 years of radio. What do you think? What do you think that is? That's improving constantly all day, every day. When you say Mike, uh, I'm going to out him because that's Mike Richards, right? Correct. Okay. This for people who don't know is the same Mike Richards who is involved in the big kerfuffle at Jeopardy and was the guy who named himself host and lasted a grand total of one week. That's the Mike Richards that, that he's talking about. Yeah. Ended up uh, being blackballed from entertainment altogether because of something he said on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Anti-Semitic but, remarks. If I, if I remember. Yeah. Lovely guy. Lovely Great. guy. Real well, rich. Good luck with your book. Your book oh. is The Price is Right, The Inner GPS. And trust again, it. it's a your, great story. Yes, trust your inner GPS. That's what it's about. Thanks so much. My I don't pleasure. have any parting gifts for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's funny. That's good. Hey, go to richfields.tv. All the info on the book is right there, richfields.tv. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you, Rich. 
There you go, Rich Fields. Thanks, as always, for listening, and also thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to John Wolfert, Howard Hoffman, Bruce, and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, easy to do, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's my email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I am on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. You can see my New Yorker cartoons, and we are currently in a stretch of interesting interviews. Next week, here's a tease, we have a television pioneer who was a producer of a show that routinely got a 50 share. Okay, who could that be? Come back next week and find out. Thanks again for listening to Hollywood and the Fine.